Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. This is going to be a short series from myself personally, and I am going to see if I can get a couple of other co-hosts to get involved on this. But the topic of this series is things I wish I knew as I was kind of coming up personally and professionally in all of the areas of strength and conditioning, nutrition, um, professional work as for me in athletic training, um, and also leadership. So each episode will cover a specific topic, kind of going through the progression of looking back at what we wish we had known for ourselves and throughout our career, but really hidden in all of that will not just be the story of us trying to figure it out ourselves, but things that we think can apply to both a consumer of any of these things or also a professional within that and just trying to help identify things earlier on in the process that would have ultimately helped make it better or faster to achieve in the long run. So please enjoy these uh, and we hope to have a bunch of these and that everybody gets as much information out of them as we have learned over the past however many years in trying to get to this point. On this installment of Wish I Knew, we are talking about athletic training and my personal progression through it and continued progression. Uh, We'll see how long this one ends up going, as I feel like I could probably write a book on this and something that's actually been considered, mainly because I think the lessons learned, as I referenced in the strength and conditioning, I wish I would have been able to figure out and had the ability to see earlier in my career because I truly feel that I'm five to seven to ten years, maybe not quite ten as I haven't been doing it that long, behind in where I could be. And so I'm hopeful that that is helpful to anyone looking to go into these careers or any related career. I think a lot of these same concepts apply. Uh, So starting off uh, pre-college, I actually had no idea what athletic training was. I never had one in high school, never saw one. One of the couple times I did get hurt in high school, it was coaches that taped me up um, and or gave some general advice, nothing too crazy. Um, Basically a a polar plunge and a turkey baster for a foot ankle injury I had. Um, But if you can think that far ahead, getting exposure, understanding what it's about and going through it to through internships or just observation could be so helpful in trying to understand what you want to do. And I've seen some of that more so now uh, with my time at my previous job at a university with some undergrads who thought they wanted to go into athletic training. We allowed them an opportunity to do some interning to really understand it. And some of them, this is what they wanted to do. And a bunch of them decided that they wanted to go another route. I think while that was unfortunate, because I think they would have been really good athletic trainers, 
I think it was super beneficial to them to see that, understand that, get the experience, and maybe figure out that this wasn't for them so they didn't go through the master's program, become MSAT, and then ultimately decide that this was not what they wanted to do. They were able to get that exposure early, ask a lot of questions, try and understand the fullness of it, and really make a good decision for what their future goals are for their profession and their education. So if you can start early trying to get exposure, not necessarily have to make the decision right then and there, but the exposure can be so beneficial to trying to understand what you want to do. College. For me, I didn't understand what athletic training was until my freshman orientation. I didn't reach out early in my college career to try and get involved. Um, I actually had to apply at the end of my sophomore year, get in my junior year, and then it will start my junior year, and then it was two and a half years of AT after that. In hindsight, I learned a ton and had some great preceptors, um, some things that I wouldn't change for the world. But I didn't do nearly as much as I possibly could. And, you know, looking back, I thought I was busy, had a lot going on. I worked two part-time jobs to help pay for rent and food. Um, And ultimately, anything left over to help cover tuition and some student loans when I got out, plus my clinical hours. But I had the time to do more around athletic training, to get more experience, to do other things that were going to be beneficial to me in the long run. I really wish I would have understood that then and not fallen behind the trap of being quote-unquote busy, um, however you want to define that for yourself. And I really wish I would have gone back and done that and been able to spend more time learning those things. It's an interesting conversations with students now in terms of what they can do in terms of learning and improving their skill set because a lot of the tools that are available now didn't really exist when I was in college and now I graduated in 08 from college so it's not that long ago but I always joke with students that's when Facebook required a .edu address I thought Facebook was dumb I didn't know anybody would want to do it and that's also why I don't invest in tech because I had obviously no idea what it was going to become YouTube was a thing but the amount of content and especially quality content that's out there now that you can go and learn and get access to just wasn't there um when I was going through school, and while yes, I could have looked up journal articles and read them, I didn't know how to do it well. I didn't do it. Period. I didn't understand that if I, as I was reading them, what I was actually getting out of it. And that's on me for not trying to figure out how to do those things and really get a jump start on my career in terms of getting into that habit, learning those things, and kind of starting ahead of the game. I didn't do any research in undergrad. Um, I don't know, in hindsight, what opportunities were available to me. But again, I didn't ask. I didn't actively pursue it, even to go and just help out to try and better understand the process and get at least some broad-based ideas and principles behind it that I think would have served me so much better in my career. I still, right now, um, in slowly kind of dipping my toe in the research world and I don't understand it 
the way that I would like to and have so many questions and I know research is not easy and there is so much um, detail and things that go into it so it really is something that I'll continue to improve on as I know everybody who's doing research constantly is as well but I really do think from my undergrad even through my graduate years really is a place that I wish I would have spent more time even if I don't end up doing a lot of research in my career I think it is a very strong skill set to have even if you don't do it <clears throat> just to understand how it's done in order to better understand it on the back end when you do look up a research article and you go through and you try and draw out all the data that you are seeing from those articles I think understanding the back end of it really enhances your ability to understand what you're reading for your own personal development and knowledge gain kind of moving on to more just professional and skill related things for this next section um and a few more things around coaches um knowing when to refer is highly important absolutely you got to know when it's kind of outside of your scope and you might need that second set of eyes a second opinion um, refer doesn't necessarily mean it has to be to a physician it could be to another colleague or um, another um, profession that could just have a different look at it but understanding that going and referring you know they may give you a new idea which is great or have some insight to try and help that person improve and that could really help you but ultimately, after they see that physician in this specific kind of um, example, you still have to take care of them on the back end. So if they've got something going on, they go and see the physician, they order imaging, but the imaging doesn't show anything. It's still with you to try and figure out how to help this person and fix what's going on. And so that is important to remember that it is a tool but it is not always going to fix everything. And so that kind of goes into the imaging side of it is yes, imaging is important and necessary, but we have to understand what it means and what we're getting out of it. If we go looking for something, we're probably going to find something and we got to determine if that something is really of importance or is it just because we happen to go looking at it is there? How does it apply to the clinical side that you're seeing? And what does that mean and how it relates? Again, what if you don't find anything on imaging that is going to help you along this process? And I think that's, again, a really frustrating thing for professionals. But it is a reality. And I think having that going in so you're still looking at different ideas and you're taking into account all the factors that could be contributing to this person's pain and injury is really really important uh, when it comes to how you're handling it um, there's a lot of good articles out there talking about your not your MRI especially as it relates to low back pain and disc herniations and you know is that disc herniation really a cause of it and once you know it is that worse because now you know there's something there and so does that ultimately make things harder on you it, it that becomes very convoluted and can be really challenging but a lot of times I relied on it as well we need you to go see the doctor we need imaging and then it'd come back and not help what I was trying to do and 
the pain or the problem for that patient still hadn't gone away and we still needed to figure it out so it was back to the drawing board kind of starting from scratch and I think having an awareness of that early on can help you navigate through some of those tough um, areas. In the treatment rehab realm I got super heavy in the soft tissue world uh, working track and field for a lot of years kind of understandably why but I kind of forgot and neglected the rehab and some of the global training things that I needed to do and just doing massages or ART or um, instrument assisted or you know now later doing some cupping like yes there is a time and a place for these very powerful tools when it comes to helping a patient restore motion maybe just to feel better but what are we doing to actually help it stay there and the place for rehab i cannot highlight enough is so important that it has to be something that you keep in there because you've got to help sustain the changes you are making with the soft tissue work and get the body to react and be able to move through these new ranges of motions or these new pain-free motions because of any reduction in tension and tightness and just doing the soft tissue no matter what it is isn't going to be enough take that one step further looking at the modifications that you need to make in the weight room on the practice or competition field all of those things play such a vital role in your treatment plan that you have to help control those to help bring somebody back up to what they want to be doing and how they want to progress when it comes to um, their ability to get back to their activity. Just the soft tissue work isn't going to do it. Um, I went through it. I wish I would have learned it earlier. It would have benefited my patients more. This is part of that evolution of you're, you're treating the same way you did five to ten years ago. You probably aren't advancing and progressing. It should evolve. Uh, so that is one that I would just caution a lot of people on. And you may not be a soft tissue work person. You may be all rehab. Just maybe there is a time and a place for some soft tissue work, whether it is done by you as the clinician or by the patient themselves. But keeping that big toolbox in order to draw upon specific things, I think is really, really important. You have to collaborate. Um, we talked about the physician and potentially other kind of healthcare professionals, but you have to work with people to get it all done. And that is across the board from working with your student athletic trainers, any of your interns, to have them help with the day-to-day -day and the treatment and the care. Um, and even just for, you know, the athletic setting practice all the things that go into hydration and monitoring environmental factors and all of the different things you got to have an organized setup plan make everybody feel a part of it engaged and really that they're playing an integral role and you'll have so much more success in adding to that strength and conditioning can be your best ally when it comes to getting your job done 
as an athletic trainer and being successful because they spend a lot of time with these patients as well, um, especially in that athletic setting. But what they can do for modifying and not exacerbating an issue or helping strengthen with more resistance and volume and intensity to help complement what you're doing is really going to be a potential game changer for your treatment plan, your maintenance plans, depending on what part of the year you're in and what you're trying to accomplish. And you can't ignore that. You have to have a good relationship there because subtle things that you can tweak for a patient that they do in there can really help them progress along um, and be without pain and while still continuing to progress in their rehab and their progression back to their activity. So that is important. Working with a high quality strength and conditioning person is paramount to success um, for everybody involved. It is, the team is so powerful and the more they can work together and complement it is also a great place to offload each other in terms of how you're training and caring for the patients you work with. Preventative programs built into the strength and conditioning or having the AT run them, where does it make most sense? How does it work for the daily you know, schedule of everybody? What is everybody's workload? Some mobility things and some different trainings. All of that can be built into either side. And if you can work together to figure out what makes the most sense to help with that, that is going to be so beneficial to everyone that I highly recommend that you go and try and forge those relationships to make that as beneficial as possible. In terms of the working side of getting into the professional and career part of everything and out of school, really coming to understand that more hours aren't always better. There are times and places for it, and there are times you will need to put in those hours, and every hour that you put in, you are busy. But understanding that sometimes just being there to be there to give the impression of how hard you're working or your buy-in, it sets a standard that's really hard to maintain. And if you go high on that standard to begin with, it's really difficult to back because that's what then people will hold you to. And with life changes that can potentially occur, family, whatever those things may be to you, you really have to have that foresight early on and be careful of just being that quote-unquote grinder because it can, it can and potentially will catch up to you and it can be very difficult to back that down. Even if you're doing a fantastic job in less hours, it is the perception of others that that might not be the case and that's really hard to work around. Kind of transitioning into the leadership role position and some of the further thoughts that have come up for me, um, and this will be probably a leadership insight here at some point in the future, is again looking at coaches specifically, depending on how the place you work at is set up, in most org charts you're working with the coaches, not for the coaches. And that can go back all the way to that team concept we were talking about earlier is you're part of that team and caring for that coach's players. 
but you're not on that coach's staff necessarily. You are on the sports medicine staff, and so you're working with them, and that subtle difference in words with verse 4 I think makes a huge difference. And if you can establish those boundaries, I think it sets you up in a very different place in the mindset of working with those coaches. And that you're not their assistant coach. They don't, you know, give you orders necessarily on how to do your job. Like, yes, we're following when their practices are and their schedule, and that comes with it in our kind of service profession. But ultimately, again, you don't work for them and that was a big shift for me that just even if I started just thinking that way it was a sense of empowerment that started coming through into some interactions it wasn't confrontational it wasn't anything like that it was very much just that empowerment of I don't work for you so you coming down and trying to tell me how to do my job I know it wouldn't go well if I came over and told you how to do yours in terms of what offense or defense or whatever it may be you should run. So let's just back this down a little bit, have some professional courtesy to each other, and really understand that we're here working together, not me for you or you for me. So that's something I really, really encourage any athletic trainer to keep in mind depending on how your setup is, and I'm just speaking to mine in the collegiate setting uh, for most of it. I think if you get into a leadership role, a head AT, you know, an assistant or associate AT where you're still overseeing people, even just as an athletic trainer, you don't have to have a role um, that gives you a, quote, leadership position. You can be a leader wherever you are at and what you're doing might be working with students that are interested in AT um, or even just being your own version of a leader in your care for your patients. Uh, But really, I think digging into the types of leadership so you understand what they are and start feeling out how you think you lead and where you would want that leadership style to go. And so for me, really getting into transformational and servant leadership and understanding what those are and how they can impact people was huge in my understanding of how I need to interact with staff, Um, the staff that I oversaw, the students that I oversaw, but also just everybody else in the department and really focusing on who we are serving, who I'm serving and how can I help those people accomplish what they want, which ultimately will help me accomplish what I'm hoping to accomplish in my career and that position. And so really focusing on their needs and their interests and then being able to see a much bigger picture on how that complements everything else that's going on uh, that keeps people motivated, keeps them invested, it makes it so worth it to them to do their job and keeps them hungry that sometimes that can make up for maybe it's not as well paying as it should be but because you're giving them the tools and the resources the opportunity to grow and evolve sometimes that can be a huge factor for them and it is for me that can keep somebody engaged and ultimately that's 
really trying to figure out how to help them because it should be the goal is if you can help them move on to what they truly want to do or the perfect position for them or the ultimate next role that's that's what we want to do like obviously you never want to lose staff I never wanted to lose staff I think that's also a good sign of you know how you're doing as a leader is how much you can retain people because they like being there but also I think it's a great sign of a leader of are you having people leave because they are now moving on to the next step in their career progression that they wanted to do in their opportunity that they found came up finally and they were able to go get it. I think that says just as much as you know retaining staff and having them enjoy their job. So always things to consider there. Um, in these leadership positions, listen more. Listen, listen, listen. And always, always, always get every side of the story. Trying to avoid overreaction and getting frustrated at the first sign of something is something I continue to have to work on. But just trying to understand where all aspects of the story, put all the pieces together, figure out where it's coming from, um, and what then needs to happen in order to address it. It may mean revisiting things multiple times, but listen, 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 get everything, sum it up, give it back to them, um, and continue to do that. It will make life so much easier instead of trying to talk over someone um, or pretend or try to understand when it can be really hard to do that. Um, And that also comes with you know, people shouldn't be able to come to you with problems. It's really hard for people to also come to you with solutions because they may not be working with the full deck of cards or all the knowledge. Uh, so requiring somebody with a problem to come with a solution isn't necessarily always fair. Um, I always kind of shifted that and said, you know, if you are identifying a problem, if you can come with any ideas that I may not have been able to think of, um, that you can run by me and I will happily tell you if like, we've already tried to think of those and we were just weren't able to get there. Um, those are things that we will all, that I'll do to try and help with it. But to sit there and be like, don't come to me with a problem without a solution can be tough because again, you know, somebody in just an staff AT role may not know some of the background and the inner workings of what's going on. And so putting that expectation out can be daunting and almost intimidating. And ultimately they may not come to you with the problem and that can be a problem as well. So that was about 25 minutes of things I wish I would have known as an athletic trainer. It's things I continue to still learn and grow on. Uh, of learning a whole new set of it and a new position in the physician extender role or will definitely be um, a recreation of this also doing some service with our state association and there will be plenty of lessons learned there um, trying to think on a much broader and bigger picture but yes I think all these things I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known to ask. I wish I would have known to inquire and do my own work with. Um, and all I can hope is that somebody listens to this and starts thinking about it sooner for themselves. And I think that's really important to 
try and do because it will help speed your career if you can start thinking about these things and I'm now thinking about at 35 at 25 it will push you further ahead and help you get to where you want to be which ultimately can then help push whoever you're working with ahead um, if someone came in and started having these ideas and were talking to me if I were there you know, boss or supervisor, you better believe it's going to push me to better understand and get better at how I do my job. So more of these to come. Uh, we've got some nutrition coming. Um, sure there will be another one, um, or two that we come up around that. Uh, but hope you enjoy them. We'll talk to you soon. And with that, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next episode.